If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, good to have your company. This is going to be one hell of an hour. I've got Mark Latham coming on in about five minutes from now. We'll also catch up with Evelyn Ray from the Cauldron Pool. Lots to be said about transgender policy and Joe Biden calling uh, what Republicans have come up with in terms of his business dealings with his son's business partner as lies. We'll get to that with Evelyn. And the Queensland electrician who's decided to take on the supermarket giants as well, which is a really good story. We'll get to her shortly. Just a quick note from the UK. River has sent us something on the chat box uh, saying that Ireland, in reference to this censorship bill, has gone off the reservation just a test bed. Well, the same thing's happening in Australia. And one here from Ken in Inverloch, Victoria. I commend you on talking with Mr. M. R. Lee earlier this week. He seemed like a candid person from the pro-Palestinian community. I also like what Ray McGovern, this was the former CIA analyst, had to say. He was quite sharp and independent uh, about what he said in terms of Israel and future good radio. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate that. Good to get uh, the odd positive feedback, which is terrific. Thank you, Ken. Now, one of my loyal weekly contributors on this program, Australia's greatest commercial radio talkback broadcaster, Alan Jones, has been the subject, well, it's a pylon in a three to four page spread in one of Sydney's papers today. Now, Jones is a classic tall poppy in Australian life. So anything salacious relating to Alan Jones will please newspaper editors and it'll have everyone pouring over to get the goss. So it's big news. I know nothing about the allegations, nothing at all made against him. Um, I was an executive at 2GB for many years. I was a colleague of Alan's as another host on the station for decades. I have never, ever been told of such untoward behaviour from Alan directed towards staff, ever. Now, if there are those who believe that they are suffering from their time at 2GB, I do hope that they get all the help they can, either from the station or from other sources. I really feel for them. But what I can say for those who have followed Alan over to TNT Radio is that you need to be careful about the context of allegations. And we've discovered that in recent court cases. You've got to understand the context. Again, if they are having a bad time about what they conceive occurred to them at that radio station, they hopefully will get all the help that they need. The only provable bad behaviour in those studios at 2GB in the 22 years that I was there came in the form of sustained and horrific bullying from their current host, Ray Hadley. Uh, there were complaints, there were settlements, there was counselling for years afterwards for more than two staff members. Um, that we know for sure. That is undeniable. And yet the management let it ride. Uh, Alan is defending these allegations, and he may even take it further in terms of a legal redress. And as far as I'm concerned, he has done some incredible, selfless and admirable acts for those he worked with at that radio station. Um, and he helped so many people continue their very, very successful and lucrative careers, including myself. Um, I tend to pick and stick it is an old loyal tradition that I still live by. And Alan is invited back here regularly 
His time is up for 2023. He told us that last Monday, but I hope he is back as I hope I'll be back on this radio station next year. And I'm very much looking forward to that. There's a stack of commentary on social media about that story, but I'll leave it up to others to decide what they think. This is TNT Radio. Russia, gas prices, COVID mandates. It just doesn't seem like anybody's doing anything about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I want to get straight to our regular Thursday guest, independent MP from the upper house of the New South Wales Parliament, former mayor, former advisor to a prime minister, former advisor to a premier and former federal Labor opposition leader, Mark Latham, MLC. Mark, good day. Welcome. Thanks very much, Chris. Um, Interesting introduction. I can only endorse what you said about Alan Jones. The allegations that I saw today are completely out of character with the man I know, and uh, it is an example of tall poppy syndrome, sadly enough. Okay, let's talk about some federal issues before we talk about things closer to home. Um, This mass release of criminal detainees, it just goes from worse to tragic and horrific. I thought this would be done and dusted by now. Four detainees have now been charged with serious criminal offences. Those who have become victims of these illegal entrants, I think, deserve an apology because the government clearly wasn't ready uh, to act appropriately after the High Court made its decision. But when the Attorney-General and the Home Affairs Minister were asked whether they would apologise yesterday, Mark, you would have seen this. Have a listen for those who didn't hear it. Have a listen to what happened. The AG cracked it. So what you have seen the government do is put in place, I have to say, extensive legislation and layers of protection for the Australian community. The job of the three of us is to protect the Australian community within the Australian law, and that is exactly what we're focused on. I want to suggest to you that that question is an absurd question. You are asking a Cabinet Minister, three Ministers of the Crown, to apologise for upholding the law of Australia, for acting in accordance with the law of Australia, for following the instructions of the High Court of Australia. I will not be apologising for upholding the law. I will not be apologising for pursuing the rule of law. And I will not be apologising for acting. Do not interrupt. I will not be apologising for acting. I will not be apologising for acting in accordance with a High Court decision. Your question is an absurd one. The AG doth protest too much, methinks, Mark. Well, he's apologised now to the uh, Sky News female journalist involved, but I think a bigger apology is well and truly justified, and that is to the victims of the uh, four who've been arrested um, and to others who feel unsafe about the release of these um, um, detainees, illegal migrants to Australia who are being held indefinitely. And the story for the Albanese government, Chris, just gets worse and worse by the day because there's, uh, you know, the information we've now uncovered is that when the High Court made its decision to say uh, there'd be a release, it applied to one of the detainees only, just one of them, (laughs) Not, not scores of them, just one. And the government panicked uh, back there at the beginning of November and released the lot mm. without a High Court order for all the detainees, nor a High Court um, explanation of their reasons, their full judgment. So back on the 8th of November, when the High Court made what was a bad decision, the government should have just released the one instead of releasing the lot. And we wouldn't have had uh, so many charged now. 
And in the time, the next three weeks in which the High Court reserved its judgment, the government could have made better preparation to effectively re-detain uh, these troublemakers, re-detain those who've become so problematic yeah. and caused problems out in the community. So Mark Dreyfus and his colleagues should be uh, apologising to the Australian people for their lack of foresight, their error of judgment, and most particularly any damage that's been caused to the victims of the four that have been charged. Yeah, spot on. Couldn't agree with you more. And this carry-on yesterday, you don't interrupt me, don't you interrupt me? Like, seriously? He, he gave himself away. They are hugely under pressure because they've allowed those people out. They haven't been prepared. They haven't done their homework. And so people's lives are in danger. Of course, they should apologise to the four alleged victims who are now concerned about what else could happen to them. Uh, and no sign of Anthony Albanese in question time, Mark. Like, what's that about? That's as, as cynical as it gets. Well, you have to assume uh, back there on the 8th of November, the government wanted to release them all. There was no legal obligation to release all the detainees, scores of them, up to 100. Uh, so this is Labor soft on uh, illegal migration, yeah. soft on the question of danger in the community. They wanted to release them. That, that's yeah. what's happened here. If there was no legal obligation, why didn't they just uh, comply with the High Court decision, which was about one yeah. of the detainees, instead of doing a lot? So I think it's a sign of Labor Party thinking. And, 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 and you saw from Mark Dreyfus there an arrogance in, in not wanting to apologise. I mean, the, the, the charges have been laid are about theft, drugs, pedophilia-related and sexual assault. They're very serious matters, and he owes those people a very big apology. Yeah, totally. And where is Albo, mate? Like, if he's not overseas, he's watching Sheffield Shield cricket instead of being in question time. Well, he was going to, I found out he was going to the climate change uh, conference in Dubai, oh. in the Middle East. Uh, but because of the pressure about Airbus Albo, he sent the hapless Chris Bowen instead. Oh. So he did have other trips lined up that thankfully oh. he's cancelled. Uh, they're on COP28. This is Conference 28, where the big hot wind that pollutes the air comes out of the mouths of the delegates. <laughs> if you haven't got it sorted after 28 conferences, you're not going to do much more in the future. But <laughs> Australia, remarkably, Chris, has put in a bid to host one of these talk fests. They're, they're a junket, I suppose, a networking opportunity, but they don't uh, save the planet in that uh, the luxury boats and the luxury jets, private jets come in and add to carbon emissions rather than subtracting from them. So maybe Albo's in the back room trying to organise the next COP29. Yeah. Uh as long as the as long as the visuals are right, we all go broke because of the cost of living. But as long as the visuals are right, I want to talk about the Bruce Learman defamation case. This is the man for those who need remember need remembering or um, reminding. I'm sorry, was charged with the rape of Brittany Higgins in Parliament House, Canberra. He was not convicted. Now, Learman is suing Channel 10 and host Lisa Wilkinson in the federal court. Now, we've heard from witness Lauren Gain yesterday, who told the court she remembers Brittany Higgins and Bruce Learman sitting quite close together at the nightclub earlier in the night. She said, I remember them being quite touchy with one another. I remember them kissing, and I remember her taking selfies of the two of them. Gain said she saw Learman and Higgins touching each other's thighs and sharing a passionate kiss. What does that say, do you think, about the television network's ability to defend itself through truth right now? Well, Chris, it's hard to know. Defamation law in Australia, it's become tougher uh, to win a, a defamation case, and I, I think that's the, the right legal change we've had in the last couple of years. And it'll depend a lot on where Justice Michael Lee believes the onus of proof needs to lie. I, I would have thought uh, Lerman, in, in trying to win his defamation 
case um, is still up against it in that he needs to prove conclusively that there was no rape. Mm. And he's gone into a case where whether they were kissing or friendly earlier in the night probably doesn't matter a lot as to what actually happened in the minister's uh, office there in Parliament House in the early hours of that Saturday morning. There is some other evidence out there that's probably damaging to Brittany Higgins. A former boyfriend today has said that uh, she uh, sent him a message that she brought the party back to Parliament House on that particular night, uh, speaking the next day. So uh, there's there's stuff on both sides of the ledger. Uh, I don't envy the, the judge who's got to look at this soap opera and, and work out a situation where essentially the only two who really know what happened were the two in the room. It was uh, two o'clock on a Saturday morning and, you know, they'd been out partying and drinking and the like, and it's very hard to know if they've even got the clearest possible recollection of what actually happened. Um, mm. It's a case that's absorbed the political class and others. You know, it has become a real soap opera. Where it lands, uh, I don't think you can really speculate. No, that's true. Um, Bruce has got himself almost half a million dollars from News Corp and the ABC, we've now learned. And, of course, he's got another potential jackpot with 10 and Lisa Wilkinson. It's a lesson for the media that you've got to be careful not to hang someone before the justice system takes over and runs its course. Oh, absolutely. But it's also true on the other side of the ledger, the defamation, uh, and you and I both know this, Chris, defamation in Australia is an extraction, extortion-type industry yeah. where you can be sued and the settlement is just the, you know, get the people off your back yeah. and not run the risk of what happens in the court. So uh, I would have, I, I, I'd like to know, in the case of Bruce Lerman, what, what's happened to the um, suing of the ACT government over that uh, very damaging report about the credibility of the DPP in the criminal case that was brought against him in, mm. in the ACT. I always thought that would be the place where if he was looking for compensation for what he's been through and he deserved compensation out of that criminal case, I would have thought that's where he would have gone Good instead point. of defamation. In general, I'm not a big fan. So I've been a victim of it. I'm not a big fan of these defamation cases and sometimes they do backfire. We'll have to see what happens here. Okay, let's take a quick break. I want to come back and you'll need to put your education uh, cap on because I want to talk to you about the latest results we have, which are quite widespread, and tell us a whole heap about what we're doing in the classroom. Mark Latham, right after the break on TNT Radio. Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, so it averaged around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year and we had a farm murder on average every fifth day um, but over the last few months both of those numbers have picked up murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. 
If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITmodular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. Thank you for your feedback, Wayne. Wayne has sent me a message to say, I have to say that our Prime Minister Albanese is well and truly on the way to becoming a one-term government. He is totally incompetent and is taking his chance to make as many overseas trips with his snout firmly in the trough. Gee, it looks that way. May not be the case, but boy, oh boy, it's a bad look. Mark Latham, you're the education ombudsman. Gee, wouldn't it be great if we did have an education ombudsman? Um, the latest international results are very interesting. Students throughout the world have fallen behind on reading and math during the pandemic, but Australian teens have managed to buck the trend. Rather than dipping, Australia's results in math and science and reading have actually held steady since 2018, according to the latest international education rankings. It means Australian 15-year-olds now rank ninth in the world for reading and science and 10th in the world for math. But the story isn't all rosy, with the data revealing almost half still failed to reach national standards in those subjects with those from wealthier backgrounds outperforming students from less privileged families. And while Australia's global ranking has improved in 2022, thanks to other countries dropping down the list, overall, our performance has declined since the early 2000s. What do you make of all of that? Well, that's the worrying uh, statistic, Chris. The, the last one you mentioned, that compared to students in high school 20 years ago, students today are a full year behind in their learning a full year behind in their academic attainment. And it just shows you how badly the Australian system has gone backwards if you've lost a whole year of learning uh, in just two decades. It sounds like in the PISA results, these are international tests, PISA, P-I-S-A, uh, that Australia's probably had a better pandemic response than some other countries. But overall, the fact that in the testing, the international community has gone backwards uh, tells you something about the teaching profession. Teaching which should be uh, an honoured and effective profession, has been uh, suspect to too many fads and experiments. Instead of just sticking to the evidence base of what works, uh, direct instruction, um, um, phonics literacy, strong behavioural standards, a collective approach to professional development, we know exactly what works inside a classroom and inside a school. But teachers have gone off on a frolic to do with um, so-called student-based learning, teachers as facilitators, uh, open plan classrooms, all sorts of wacky experiments that defy the evidence base of what gets results in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a problem with teaching internationally. We've got a problem with teaching in Australia. And the fact that our students here are 12 months behind their counterparts from just 20 years ago just tells you how badly the system has failed. Yeah, it's nothing to be proud of. I was amused to see an article in the Herald this week written by a principal 
who said he got it all wrong about open plan classrooms. It's an inconvenient truth for me to face, but the findings of the recently released Senate inquiry into teaching in Australia are too hard for me to ignore. The inquiry was set up last year to examine why Australia was in 2018 ranked 69 out of 76 countries for disciplinary climate in classrooms based on programs for international student assessment surveys. It all gets back to the new wave of teaching. You know, um, okay, we've got rid of corporal punishment. That's fine. You've got to have a better system of punishment in place, a more effective system. And things like open plan classrooms are all nouveau, fabulous ideas, but they haven't been proven to work. Well, that's right. And it, it seems ridiculous to have to say it, but the most effective form of teaching is in a single traditional classroom where the teacher stands at the front of the classroom and teaches and is the centre of attention. The students' focus and concentration is all on the teacher at the front. How did we ever end up with open plan classrooms, which is sort of three or four different classrooms combined, big cavernous spaces? We ended up with it because the teachers thought, well, instead of one teacher looking after the class, there can be three or four in these big cavernous open plan spaces, and maybe teaching's a bit easier if I've got two or three colleagues uh, to help me out and I can have a bit of a break mid-class. Well, Making teaching easier always happens at the expense of the students and their learning results, always. Mm. Same with student-based learning, that if the students can just learn to, you know, absorb the information themselves, teachers walk around and uh, just facilitate the learning, that's easier for teaching, but a disastrous for student results. So it's the it's the golden lesson. If it's easier for the teachers, I'm sorry to say it's worse for the students. Teaching is, in many respects, a very difficult profession where you need to have full control of a disciplined class, you need to know the curriculum, you need to have good skills in imparting knowledge, getting feedback from the students and making sure none of them are left behind in that classroom. Open plan classrooms have been a complete disaster because if there's a student with a hearing problem or up the back or there's noise up the other end, they get distracted. Distracted. The falls away, the concentration falls away and there's practically no learning going on, particularly for those kids who can't even hear what's happening at the front of the open plan classroom. Yeah, more than anything, it's a recipe for distraction, and distractions are the things that will disrupt your learning. Uh, we haven't mentioned this, but Sandra, one of our listeners, is mentioning it on our chat box on TNTradio.live. Teachers are indoctrinated with left woke ideology and they pass it on to the students. We can't forget that as a component, can we? No, no, that's a problem. Uh, they need to be learning the traditional curriculum. Uh, um, learning how to read, learning how to write, learning how to comprehend. Uh, that's what it should be about instead of gender fluidity, uh, climate change, alarmism, every political fad, Black Lives Matters, uh, you know, the war in Gaza. You know, unfortunately, too many teachers think they're quasi-politicians mm. who want to pass their own politics onto these kids. That's not the job of the teacher. Again, maybe it's a bit easier to have a, a chat about world events, but they've got to stick to the curriculum and make sure that the students have got the skills and qualifications they need to have a good life. Yeah, spot on. Now, one of your favourite haunts, uh, the majestic Rose Hill Racecourse in Sydney's West, seems to have been um, ready for demolition. They're replacing horses with houses. Um, Is this a foregone conclusion? Do you know? No, I think we need to see a lot more detail. They're saying that they'll sell Rose Hill Racetrack, the number two a race course in Sydney for $5 billion for housing and put the money into improvements elsewhere, uh, Warwick Farm and Canterbury courses in particular. Well, you want to see the detail of what it would mean in dollars and cents and the upgrade 
for Warwick Farm, which has been a museum since the 1980s. But I think the bigger problem is, Chris, they're going to see Rose Hill at the moment is a very good racetrack and training facility. To close it means they've got to build a new training facility elsewhere, yeah. uh, about 20 kilometres west at Horsley Park. I don't know if you've got enough land there, but why spend so much money on demolishing a good training facility? You'd have to build a whole new one. Uh, a short distance away. I want to find out how much money would be absorbed just by that, how much is left for the other upgrades that they're talking about. So as a member of the Australian Turf Club, I got the email last night, a series of dot points, no detail as to what this actually means. So I think the proposal has a long way to go before it'll be accepted. And some of the greatest trainers like Chris Waller are based just on the other side of the course in property and infrastructure made up of hundreds of stables. All of that would have to be removed and replaced too. Yeah, that's supposed to go to Horsley Park and that'll be funded uh, in, 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 in partly by the sale of the property. So how much is going to be eaten up of the $5 billion yeah. by building new training facilities, new stables, new amenities, and relocating those, those trainers who may well ask for some compensation because of the disruption? And you need to have those facilities in place before you close Rose Hill. Otherwise, someone like Chris Waller's got nowhere to train his horses. Where does the money come from in advance? So plenty of unanswered questions at this stage. Yeah, very, very true. Um, and Rose Hill's such a great place to go. I still maintain that. Um, fantastic to have you on the program, mate. All the very best, and uh, we'll talk again. Okay, thanks, Chris. Cheers. Thank you very much. Mark Latham, independent MP in the New South Wales Parliament in the Upper House, so that makes him a member of the Legislative Council. But he's uh, a man with great deal of skill right across the spectrum of politics. He can talk about federal politics. He can talk about it from opposition. He can talk about politics at a local government level. He's been there. He's done that, which is why we love having him on this particular program. I've got to take a break for news. We'll do that. And then I'm going to come back and talk to the woman who's taking on the supermarket giants in Australia, Woolworths and Coles, and she wants your help as well. Do not go anywhere. This is TNT Radio. Time to read some news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. There were extraordinary scenes in the Middle East on Wednesday as Russian President Vladimir Putin made the rare trip to the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, flanked by Russian fighter jets. There's panic in the White House after Congress blocked President Biden's request for another multi-billion dollar aid package for Ukraine. And Venezuela has mobilised its army as it prepares to claim oil-rich territory controlled by neighbouring Guyana. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. All right. Well, it hasn't been a very good week for Woolworths and Coles in Australia, the supermarket giants, as we call them. Shoppers from both outlets have been complaining loudly on social media, on radio stations and elsewhere about how the prices that they're paying pre-Christmas are outrageous on things like plum puddings and hams. Uh, raised plum puddings, for instance, being sold for $80 for the large 2.3 kilo size, while hams are selling for $8 a kilo, which means for a half a leg, which is about a little less than five kilos, you won't get too much change from $40. 
Uh, customers have been accusing the two majors of price gouging. And the Agriculture Minister, Murray Watt, has even urged the supermarkets to freeze the price of leg ham this year to give families certainty ahead of Christmas Day. It's not um, it's not like they're going to go broke after all. What was it? They've had record profits, a billion dollars, over a billion dollars last financial year, which is something like a 4 to 5% boost from the previous year profit. Not bad. And so as the criticism grew, Coles and Woolies were then ordered to front a Senate inquiry that will investigate the notion that Australia's major supermarkets are price gouging and uh, against shoppers who are obviously doing it tough with the cost of living crisis. Green Senator Nick McKim called for the inquiry, claiming the supermarket chains are making billions in profits because they feel that they can overcharge people without repercussions. Uh, the hearing won't be held until next year. So in the meantime, shoppers will simply have to put up with these steep prices leading into Christmas in a very inflationary year. Or will they? A Queensland auto electrician, Dylan Fragamini, has been running a campaign to make the supermarket giants sit up and take more notice of what they're charging shoppers. She's been using TikTok tirelessly to call for a boycott. I just want to play that TikTok grab if I can. Tim, Dylan Fragimini grab. Everyone keeps talking about boycotting Coles and Woolworths. 24th of December, probably the busiest day of the year for them. We're doing a boycott. Buy all your Christmas stuff beforehand, preferably from somewhere else. If you've forgotten anything on the 24th, go to a different shop if you can. But the 24th of December, probably the busiest day of the year for Coles and Woolies. We're not shopping there. No one in Australia. Like this video, comment on this video, stitch this video, share this video. What is normally probably their most profitable day of the year is going to become their worst day of the year because we are standing up together and we are not shopping there. All right. I've got Dylan coming to us now from Brisbane in Queensland. Dylan Fragamini, welcome to TNT Radio. Thank you for having me. Now, how does a Queensland shopper an electrician, lead a campaign to boycott the supermarket giants. How did that come about? Well, I am an avid TikTok scroller, doom scroller, and I just continuously kept coming across videos of people talking about the cost of living crisis and how they can barely afford to buy food for their family, especially at Coles and Woolworths. And then I'm not sure if you've seen all of the videos of people showing the sale price tickets being um, quite often more expensive than the actual price of the item. And it just seems like this snowball effect of Coles and Woolworths potentially price gouging and taking advantage of us. I have a small-ish following. Well, probably it's not big in the realm of TikTok, 100,000 followers. And I thought eh, nothing changes if nothing changes. Let's just do something. 100,000 people is a lot of people because they probably have you know, tens of thousands of followers themselves. So you're reaching out to a very wide web. Um, how do you think it's going? What sort of feedback have you got? I would say it's about 50-50 feedback of people that are 100% on board, definitely going to do it and trying to encourage other people. And then the other demographic are people that say things like, um, great idea, not going to work. They don't want to put in the effort because they don't think it'll get anywhere and they're tired of trying. A similar thing like this happened when the fuel prices were going up yeah. and that didn't really get anywhere. So no. that's, they're in the background. That was my next question. Um, similar boycotts have been tried through service station boycotts on certain days. Um, they haven't worked. I guess it's a matter of how far and wide you get your message out and whether people are motivated. I have a feeling, though, that the crisis for cost of living at the moment is hurting so much 
that this might take off. I actually think that it will. And I have come across a few videos today of just random people everywhere, not even posting my video, but just saying, don't forget the boycott on the 24th or 23rd of December. And especially in Brisbane, Queensland, we're seeing tents lined up uh, of homeless people everywhere. Now, I've never seen that before in my life. And it's just crazy. So I actually think that people might realize that we have the voice and we are the ones that make the businesses money. So we actually can control it if we want to. I was listening to the president of the homeless, I think it was the association or federation or something, one agency. I was listening to them on another radio station earlier today talk about the fact that this Christmas there will be more homeless people living in, you know, tents and cardboard boxes, as you rightly point out, or their cars than at any other stage in the history of Australia. It's just insane. I cannot believe it. And the same with house prices, like what kind of a suburban house is worth $1.4 million that's never been renovated, doesn't have a pool? Like who can afford this stuff? I don't understand how anyone is supposed to live. Mm. So how many videos have you done all up and you've got 100,000 followers? Uh, you've still got plenty of time to keep pushing and plugging. Um you know, are you hoping to get a wider sphere? Are you getting support from mainstream media? I am. I've done, I've had two written article interviews, a podcast, and now you guys. So thank you so very much for picking it up. Um, I've done three videos only so far, but as it gets closer, I'll start to do them more regularly for sure. But hang on a second. Hang on. What about all the mainstream television stations or are they too scared to lose the Christmas ad spend from Woolies and Coles? I definitely think they're too scared because I did tag all of them in the original video and there's no way that they haven't seen it considering it has over a million views. But hang on, Channel 9, Channel 10, Channel 7, they're supposed to be independent news organisations. <laughs> joke. What a joke. <laughs> so they haven't they haven't called you at all? No, not at all. I've had Daily Mail and then a few other little smaller podcasts, but no big stations at all. Primarily because they don't want to upset their advertisers. That's what I think. Oh, well, it's obvious. Otherwise, they'd do the story. Yeah. Um, are you angry about the price of puddings and hams in particular? Oh, my God. I am. I think I'm more angry about the price of dishwashing tablets, which most people use on a regular basis, like $50 for like 15 or something like that. It's yeah. just, it's so beyond. And all it is is like some bicarb soda or something. Like, what that's what I was about to ask. Apart from hams and puddings, and as you just mentioned, those dishwashing tablets, what else have you seen that are completely and utterly over the top in terms of price? I think cheese definitely is always cheese has always been a little bit expensive, but now it's like you question whether you even want to eat dairy anymore. Um, the price of potato chips seven dollars for a packet of gourmet potato chips is seven dollars mm. and it's chocolate seven. too see I'm a, a chocoholic I, I eat chocolate you know noon and night and in the middle of the night and nowadays we don't have the chocolate in the house because it's just too damn expensive and they've done the I forget they call it shrinkflation or whatever it's called where yeah. the price stays the same but the um, size of the item drops. All right, so what do we need to do? Tell people what they should do and where do we pick up the things that we need for Christmas Day? Absolutely. So where what I'm proposing is not to shop at Coles and Woolworths on the 23rd and 24th of December, which we I think would essentially be some of the busiest days of the year for them. If you have a choice to shop elsewhere, please do. Aldi, Foodworks, IGA, any of those places. 
if you live in a small community like my my parents do and the only option they have is Woolworths, they're going to be shopping on an alternative day. So it still sends that message of hopefully no one or less people walking through the doors on those two days to just say, hey, guys, like we're keen to keep supporting you, but you got to look out for us. Please just drop the prices. If you are price gouging, just stop and think about us because we're the ones that keep you alive. Yeah, very, very true. Um, are you planning to switch from being a sparky switch? Sorry about that. From being a sparky to a regular consumer protest leader? Oh, wouldn't that be great? I think I would love to, but uh, I'm not sure if there's that much market for it. <laughs> I don't think so. I think you've got to do it from the goodness of your heart. Yeah. Hey, Dylan, fabulous campaign. Keep at it. There's still plenty of time to get the word out and keep badgering those major television networks who are too scared to use their to lose their advertisers. Keep badgering them. Awesome. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. No problem. All the very best. Dylan Fragomini from Brisbane. What a wonderful, don't go there Christmas Eve. Try and find another place to go or go on the 23rd. Uh, send the message loud and clear that you're not there on the 24th and tell Woolies and Coles to stop price gouging. And I'm looking sh- I'm looking forward to seeing them melt and frazzle in, uh, in front of those Senate members early next year as well. I'll tell you all about that when it happens. I'll take a break. Um, we'll catch up with Evelyn Ray. Lots to talk about in terms of Joe Biden and the transgender debate as well, right after the break on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. These are parlous times for liberty in the United States and for the Constitution and the rule of law. House Republicans have joined with their Democrat colleagues to oust Republican Representative George Santos, only the sixth member to ever be removed from the lower legislative chamber. Three were removed in 1861 after they joined the Confederacy, and the other two following their convictions of the crimes of which they were accused. Santos has been accused of fraud crimes but not convicted. This is a premature, preemptive strike by Republicans on one of their own, and it sets a dangerous precedent. Now, I hold no grief for George Santos. He seems, quite frankly, like a wingnut. But it's up to the constituents of his district to remove him from office, absent a criminal conviction. This is just one more episode in the long history of Republicans bowing to Democrat will. It seems as though when Democrats win elections, they get their own way. And when Republicans win elections, Democrats still get their own way. This is why we're so upset with the Republican Party. Grow a pair, stand up, and say no to the other side. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Around here, bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before, and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire, so we live bushfire ready. There are 16 million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. 
Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're feeding America. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, stack to get to uh, on the program and a lot of things on our chat box that I could um, talk about. Sandra says, pet food has gone up so much, they go up every month, then the big two give you a special. It's a rort. Uh, River says, fair play, Dylan. Um, And a stack of other comments, which is terrific. Now, I've got podcaster and writer with The Cauldron Pool, a former New South Wales detective and multimedia news and current affairs commentator, Evelyn Ray, with me right now. Evelyn, welcome back to TNT Radio. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. That's okay. Let's start with the latest allegations against President Joe Biden. A Republican-led House committee investigating the impeachment inquiry into Biden has revealed that he used multiple email aliases over a nine-year period. Now, we knew about the aliases. The House Ways and Means Committee obtained an 11-page log of emails from IRS whistleblowers Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler. President Biden used aliases such as Robinware456, JRBware and Robert L. Peters to communicate with various individuals, including his son Hunter. But, and this is where you start to think very seriously about how much of a say he had in the business that Hunter ran and therefore the revenue that Hunter earned and gave to his father. He was also communicating with Hunter's business partner, Eric Schwerin. Now, Eric Schwerin, um, it was discovered, had 327 email exchanges with President Biden 54 exclusively between the two. Um, if he's got nothing to do with Hunter's business and didn't take the cash for his work, why was he communicating with this person? That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> Perhaps he was sending him funny memes or something. I mean, maybe that's what he's going to try and tell us that we should think. But, look, um, to be honest, I don't like you mentioned, I don't think anyone is surprised by any of this. Everybody knew back at the last election the sort of person and the sort of politician that Biden is. It's not shocking. Um, as for what his involvement is, I mean, will we ever find out? I don't think that we will. It's, you we don't saw think something- we will? No, we saw something similar with Hillary Clinton and and her using private telecommunication devices, which were then miraculously destroyed. What's happened? Is she behind bars? Have we ever found out what was on the the laptop? Have we ever found out what was in the emails? No. And she... was in a very similar position to Biden, very high up in the political spectrum. I think that what we're dealing with here is um, selective outrage and a protected class. I think that there are certain politicians and, you know, I think Trump called them the deep state, certain politicians that are in this protected class. And sadly, you, you have people like Trump who were dragged through the legal system only recently because he had possession of sensitive documents. Look at the difference with what happened to him and what's happening now. Mm. There is a protected class. There are two different standards here. And yeah. and. And Biden's in luck because he seems to fall onto the class that is protected and that is in power. So I'm not very hopeful that we'll ever get to the bottom of any of this. And even if we do find out anything more specific, 
I don't hold any hope that anything will actually be done legally. Yeah, you're um, right about this. If you compare it with Trump, there are misdemeanors that Trump is now in court for, not the two serious indictments, but there are misdemeanors that he will be in court for. And if he is in court for those misdemeanors, this is exactly what Biden should be in court for, his involvement in Hunter's business and the revenue that was earned from that. Well, today Biden was confronted by these damning allegations at a press conference. Have a listen to this. Biden on Ukraine and also China. Uh, there is polling by the Associated Press that shows that almost 70 percent of Americans, including 40 percent of Democrats, believe that you acted either illegally or unethically in regards to your family's business interests. Can you explain to the Americans uh, to Americans admit this impeachment inquiry why you interacted with so many of your son and brother's foreign business associates? I'm not going to comment that I did not, and it's just a bunch of lies. You didn't interact with many of their business associates? I did not. There's lies. Now, he walked away from questions there, but he needs to be careful about what he calls lies. Um, Are we going to find out that the House committee did not find those emails? I don't think you can question the documents that they have. This charade is very, very slowly, but effectively falling apart, isn't it? It is. But to be honest, uh, he's been falling apart for a long time. Perhaps that's why he's been um, looking like he has dementia or he's an elderly citizen. Maybe he's just going to pass all of this off in the future as memory loss or something. Who knows? But um, either way, like I mentioned before, I I really don't think we're ever going to know the 100% truthful facts about it. And I'm I'm not sure he'll ever admit to that either. Um, It will be interesting to see how it plays out. But, I mean, I don't think Biden knows night from day and up from down, unfortunately. So perhaps he's, you know, he can pawn off all of the questions uh, under the guise of um, elderly, um, you know, dismissal or something like that. Maybe that's exactly what he'll do. Now, our most despised Democrat and even Nancy Pelosi's most despised colleague, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has really exaggerated the problem of determining who is a biological boy or man in women's sport. AOC says banning trans women from women's sport, that is biological men, will put women at risk of genital examination. She's made the claim during the Tuesday House Oversight Subcommittee on Health Hearing that also featured women's sports advocate Riley Gaines, who was just an absolute star in that hearing. Talk about beating up the issue, Evelyn. It's pretty easy, isn't it? Oh, this this entire issue gets me really upset. It gets me very angry, and I think anger is often seen as a bad thing, but I think righteous anger is actually a good thing, and I don't think enough people are angry about what is happening uh, with the trans movement and identity and the politics around it. It's actually truly shocking. I don't think that we're yet to see the full consequences of this and it will be the vulnerable who suffer the consequences. But it was only this last weekend, Chris, that two men won the women's cycle championship event. And there's a photo on the internet that you can see the, the woman was cheering on the podium, wearing her bronze medal, going, yay, I was beat by two blokes and got third place. Um, uh, and you know what? To be honest, women need to stop abdicating correct. their podiums for men. And I, I've said this before, sacrifices need to be made. But if all women refused to participate, then it would stop. 
if you want the tent to pack up and move on, you stop buying tickets to the circus. It's that simple. It's just hard to get everybody to do it collectively, especially when there are lots of women athletes who have sacrificed so much and trained their whole lives for these moments. And I'm not saying it's not a big deal. It shouldn't have to happen, but unfortunately, it's the only way. And I find it so funny that the biggest advocates for the Me Too movement, the Believe All Women, women rights advocates, all these women like AOC, they're the same people who are telling women to shut up and to stop being bigots when men are simultaneously taking their empowerment away from them. It's rather ironic, to be honest. So ironic it's not funny. Meanwhile, here's an example of the crazy management of this issue by schools. An 11-year-old Colorado girl called her mother in a panic from a hotel bathroom after discovering that the girl she was expected to share a bed with on a school trip was actually a biological male. No one from the school had told the girl or her parents at Governor's Ranch Elementary School because the transgender pupil was in stealth mode with their sexual identity, protected by a school board policy. The family from Littleton are now demanding the school board ensure that parents are told in advance the gender of people their children will be expected to share a bed with. Surely if you're going to greenlight gender changes in schools, you've got to do as much work protecting young girls. You would think that that's that's the normal response to something like this, but Unfortunately, when it comes to this particular issue around transgender persons, everybody is too too afraid to have an honest conversation about it. Yeah. The easy fix to these issues is to just stop denying reality. And the reality is none of this has to be reality for our girls. Facts are being replaced with fiction. Up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left. (laughs) And it's no wonder why society is crumbling like sand through your fingertips. I mean, what will it take, Chris? How many girls are going to have to be abused? How many girls are going to be assaulted, raped, murdered? Look at the women who are in the UFC now having to face blokes getting their skulls fractured. Like, how bad does it have to get? before the rubber band snaps and people go enough is enough i would bet my left kidney that anyone who genuinely suffers from gender dysphoria would understand the delicacies of the matter and that life will be somewhat different for them and it's okay to say that someone who's been in a car accident and loses their leg will inevitably live somewhat differently than they used to normal people understand basic things like this and we should not be forced or bullied into believing the individual realities of a person in, in a person's head. It's that simple. And I think, like I said, genuine people who have genuine gender dysphoria understand this. And I think that's what we're dealing with. It's very hard to differentiate genuine gender dysphoria to this movement that we're unfortunately now seeing. And like I said, I don't think that we've yet to see the consequences of this movement as a christian it's very simple for me you love god and you love your neighbor as you love yourself that's it that's the rule of life and you can do that without denying reality yeah well said um it's interesting in the story that fox put to air on this issue in colorado um i heard from lawyer kate anderson from what's called the alliance defending freedom group and kate just had had this very simple comment have a listen to what she said 
It'd be very easy to do this confidentially by providing this policy to parents and letting them work things out ahead of time who their kids are going to room with without revealing anybody's identity or who's going to be scheduled into the rooms ahead of time. They could just let parents know and let them opt out of it ahead of time. But the problem is, Evelyn, um, and I know what you've just said, but the problem is you've got the Biden administration putting pressure on their Democratic governors, their states, to ensure that the kids who want to change gender get all the support, the transitioning information and, you know, the clinical attention that they want. They're in charge, not their parents, not even the school, but the kids are in charge. And all of a sudden we have this mayhem where everyone thinks that they shouldn't be the sex that they are biologically. It is just madness. I think I've seen a movie and read a book about this. I think it's called Lord of the Flies, <laughs> when children are in charge of each other. Yes. I mean, we all know how that ends, right? And yeah. this is when the adults in the room need to actually be adults and parents need to be parents. And, you know, you know, I think for a very long time, uh, parents have abdicated their responsibility with these things. And, yep. and it's a bigger issue at, at hand here. But even what that lady was saying, I don't think that's good enough, to be honest. I don't think we should be put in situations no. where we need to be doing this ahead of time and trying mm. to, it's like a game of chess and checkmate yep. and, and the yeah. bishop. Chess in here. 3D, it's oh. just stupid. It's exhausting, Chris. And and like I said before, it's the vulnerable people that will suffer the most. And you got to ask yourself, how how far are we going to go until we stand up for the vulnerable? How, how many vulnerable people are going to be hurt um, in the meantime until we decide to get our act together? Yeah, well said. Well said. Great to have you on the program again. Um, we'll talk down, down the track. Uh, you have a terrific rest of the week. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much, Chris. Take care. Good on you, Evelyn Ray. You can see what she writes and what she appears with in the podcast she does on Cauldron Pool, and she's on uh, a number of other mainstream media sites too, but it's always good to get her um, understanding of these issues. Jason says from New Norfolk, I'm on board with Dylan. This is Dylan who wants you to not shop at Woolies and Coles come Christmas Eve. Go to your local IGA, cheaper, and you get better service. The bonus is you don't have to serve yourself. That's a good point. It's a very good point. Maybe people need to change supermarkets. But the problem is they price gouge and then they drag you in based on what they see being charged at other supermarkets and match it. So it's their buying power that allows them to crush the little guy. We know how it works. That's how they do it. It's annoying. They've got you over a barrel. I understand all of that, but we've got to send a message. And I think Dylan's idea to actually don't shop at Woolies and Coles on Christmas Eve is a really good idea. And don't think, oh, the people that go to my Woolies or the people that go to my Coles won't do that. Well, if you think that, maybe there are other shoppers who think it as well. Just make a decision not to go. They will see that there was a huge dip in their takings come Christmas Eve when there should have been a very high revenue take. And if that's the case, maybe they'll get the message that they should stop price gouging and in particular stop price gouging in an inflationary year when people are doing it tough, when they make more than a billion dollars in profit and there's a cost of living crisis. Maybe they can contribute and give back a little to the shoppers that have kept them afloat and kept them really, really successful. I have run out of time. I've got so many other things to tell you about, but we'll have to leave that till tomorrow. Now, to the callers who tried to get on, sorry I couldn't get to you, Richard and Andrew and others and Siv. 
I couldn't get to you, I'm sorry. I had uh, a special guest to get to who dedicated their time. We will get to you tomorrow. Please call in and we'll take your calls tomorrow on the program. Up next, Dean Macken will take you through for the next two hours, followed by the one and only Katie Hopkins. You have a fabulous night or afternoon or morning, whatever it is in your neck of the woods, and we'll catch each other at the same time tomorrow. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. Listener.